Hello, lady leaders. This is the Military Woman's Podcast and so much more. I am your host, Sharika Labrie. This is a very, well, no, not the very first. This is the second episode now, and it's a great, great, great listen. I invited the guest's major promotable, Kelly Watts, to speak about her experience doing IVF while in the military. Kelly has over 21 years of military experience. She's currently in Fort Hood, and her husband, who is civilian, runs the small business, and she has a four-year-old son, Rylan. And her story is very captivating. I had to remember to ask questions. Uh, Otherwise, I just, you know, let her explain the process and all the little nuggets that she left for you all today. So I hope you enjoy as much as I and stay tuned and I'll see you all next week. Thank you. I don't feel 44 and when I was 37 and found out that I had infertility issues, I didn't feel 37, 38, 39-ish. So I didn't even know that there was a problem to be had. Um, Part of it, you know, is that, um, you know, I I spent my childhood raising my siblings. So, you know, when I hit 21, I was like, great, I'm not having kids for a while because now, like, I'm a a free person, you know. So I took advantage of that in my 20s, but not knowing that, you know, in our healthcare system, and most people know this and realize this, our healthcare system is reactive, not proactive. So I wish, and that's the one thing that I would um, propagate right now is women's health. You know, we, we really don't understand the extent or the degree of the environmental um, assassinations that happen to our body on a daily basis. And I think, you know, a predominant amount, because when I look at myself, okay, at 37, 38, 39, like, I'm old, like I just don't have that many eggs left and they're not high quality, but somebody who's 20, 21, 22, it doesn't make any sense that they're having to deal with infertility. So, you know, I go back to what are we eating? What are we putting in our bodies? You know, and in the twenties, nobody talks to you about that. You healthcare provider, your PCM never tells you about that. Your PCM never, or even, you know, your, your OB women's health doctor, they do your paps, make sure you don't have cancer. And then ask you, do you want to have kids? Do you not want to have kids? Here's the birth control. Have a nice day. There's no question about, Hey, where are you in your life journey. Do you want to be a mom? If you want to be a mom, you need to think about this. You need to look out for this. You need to have this checked, you know, and in my twenties, I wished somebody had advocated for that to me because, you know, I, most people don't know what they want to do when they grow up, you know, in the twenties, like I knew I wanted to be in the medical field, but you know, did I want to be a doctor? Did I want to be a physical therapist? Like I didn't know any of that. And I was just living life my first duty station was in Germany. So I enjoyed life. Um, and then if you're lucky enough to find the love of your life to marry in your twenties, then that's fabulous. But usually people go through, you know, sometimes their first, you know, marriage and divorce and, Mm. and that wasn't my case, but I went through enough dating, you know, and a couple of those they were long periods. So they were like five to seven years of dating the same person. So it's not like I knew that there was a problem because at those times, like I was taking birth control for uh, medical reasons because of heavy periods to kind of lessen those heavy periods, not knowing that that is also tied into endometriosis, which 
as practitioners, nobody ever really honed in on that for me. Mm-hmm. So fast forward to building my career in the military um, after joining enlisted and then going back to school to become a nurse, like you're just gung ho on, on making rank and doing wonderful things. And you, again, I go back to, you don't feel your age, but you know, for women, that's a huge, that's a huge detriment. You know, we, you're born with the set amount of eggs that you're born with and nobody really talks to you about that. Mm. So it's kind of hard to make that family planning process um, or that journey, you know, men are easy. They reproduce, you know, sperm every 90 days or something like that. So, you know, they don't have the problem that we have, you know? So when I met my husband, we tried for two years of unprotected sex and nothing, not even a scare. So then I was like, well, I guess I better go, you know, ask about this. So I went in and asked about it. How how old were you then when you, when you started trying? Uh, 37, 37 I started, you know, with unprotected sex okay. um, and we hadn't gotten married yet, you know, so mm-hmm. two years, but we knew we wanted to get married, you know, so, yeah. <clears throat> and I, you know, I myself, you know, as a nurse, I recognize, hey, I'm older. We need to start now. We don't need to wait any longer. So we started before getting married. Um, and then, you know, I finally went in to ask for help, you know, and, and so then they did some diagnostics and we realized, hey, my left fallopian tube is completely blocked. You know, and there were some avenues that you could do to try, but it's not 100% to unblock the fallopian tube. But at that point, I was such advanced maternal age, they said, your best chance right now is to go straight to IVF. Mm -hmm. Um, So we, you know, and then there were some other issues with polyps being present, polyps, you know, um, interfere with uh, implantation. So you know, between the course of those two items happening and finding out that um, my AMH was under one, I started IVF um, at 0.7, 0.8-ish. Um, and then my first cycle, which as a nurse, you know, people discount. They are like, yeah, you know what you're doing. No, I mean, you really don't. I mean, it's not like in nursing school, they teach you about reproductive and endocrinology issues and difficulty. I mean, you just get the basics. So my first cycle, um, we did with uh, Walter Reed, you know, and I'm very thankful that they have um, the program available, but it's, it's not covered by, infertility is not covered by um, TRICARE. Um, if you go to the military facilities, you know, the big med sends between Madigan and, and Bamsey and, and Walter Reed, you know, they have um, assisted reproductive um, therapy programs called ART, which, you know, help with IVF and it definitely helps with the cost, you know. Um, my computer took a crap and I had my spreadsheet that was on there that, you know, had the breakdown for the cost. But if I remember right, you know, I think out of pocket with that first cycle, we were probably out $7,000. And that's with the military. That's with the military. And, Uh you know, in the grand scheme of things like that's, that's super nice (laughs) because um, I happened to be in school in the DC area at that time. And, you know, I was graduating ILE is when I came back to El Paso and started with a local civilian RE doctor. Um, RE is a reproductive endocrinologist. And, you know, 
everything, everything about this process is just so demoralizing and, uh, and hard, you know, and, and coming from somebody who was a type A OCD, like you give me a challenge, I'll make a plan and I'll make this mission happen. So it was hard, you know, trying to swallow that pill with, hey, you can do everything right and none of this works, you know, and mm -hmm. so you walk in for IVF and they're very frank with you. You know, you have less than, I think he said less than 10% chance of this working mm -hmm. in the process too. Um, you know, with the first cycle, uh, we got three eggs and only two fertilized, you know, and, and they transferred two of those embryos back into me and neither one of them took. Um, there is a grading system that comes, you know, with the embryos and the embryologist looks at it to see, you know, how nice they look. And I don't want to go into the grading system because there's two different grading systems, you know, so mm -hmm. w two things that I really want to, you know, hone in on for people that especially are younger than, you know, myself. Hey, in your twenties, you need to think about this. You need to ask, you need to go and get evaluated, you know, to see, Hey, where is my AMH? You know, do I have any reproductive issues that need to be known now mm -hmm. rather than waiting until your mid thirties when you're done with your career, because by then it's too late or, or just on the off chance, you know, you know, for your career, I want to do A, B, C, and D. That's a lot of stuff that takes time. Mm -hmm. Maybe you should look into freezing your eggs. Mm. Freezing. I wish somebody had told me that in my twenties. How how much That's, is freezing eggs? Like, how what does that cost entail? I don't know. Only okay. because you know, uh -huh. I never produced enough eggs to, to even okay. get to the point. Yeah, the most I ever produced in one cycle was four eggs. So okay. sadly enough, like you get what you get, and so I never got to that point to be able to freeze stuff. You know, but uh -huh. and here's you know every. Everybody says, you know, oh, that's a lot of money. It is. But look at how much money I'm spending right now at this point. You know, right. whereas in my 20s, if family is what you know you want in your future, but you have several things in your career that you want to accomplish, especially for those that are in med school. I mean, mm -hmm. med school is a long time. Right. So think about do you want to pay the, the time and the money now to do an easy process and then just pay for a storage unit each month? Or do you want to pay twenty, thirty thousand dollars down the line? And that's just for one cycle. Wow. And that was that's one cycle in the that, United States. In the United States. So was it more money when you did the civilian route in El Paso? Oh yeah, it's it's double the cost when you go from the military um, art programs to uh -huh. a civilian program. So um, I think the second cycle we ended up spending somewhere around probably seventeen, eighteen thousand. But you know, I I just I usually end up rounding it up to twenty thousand right. because I'm sure the stuff that I didn't catch and and capture, you know, for. Uh, tax reasons and, and just for accounting, but it's, it's a lot of money. You know, we drained our savings, mm -hmm. our life savings, just trying four cycles. So the, the first three cycles that we did, you know, we all tried with my own egg. And then the fourth cycle we had decided, you know, it, we're, I feel like we're just throwing money down the drain, mm -hmm. literally. So at this point, at cycle number four is when we decided to move on to donor egg. Um, and at that point, and you know, I was like, well, 
my husband actually, I think in cycle one or cycle two had, um, had kind of put the bug in my ear saying, Hey, why don't we try doing IVF overseas? You know, I, I read a lot over, um, the internet, you know, there's a lot of good comments that are made about doing IVF overseas and it's significantly cheaper. I mean, if you think about everything that we pay for inflated in the United States, it makes sense, you know, but I was really hesitant because at that point we were still on my own egg journey, you know, and to be in some other foreign country going under anesthesia, not knowing what they're doing, like made me feel really nervous. I'm like, well, shoot, what if I die? <laughs> you know, right. what if TRICARE doesn't cover it? Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, because yeah, TRICARE doesn't cover the IVF process, but what if something went wrong while I was under anesthesia and I get admitted to a hospital? Like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was like, that's scary. I don't know what, you know, I know what our standards are here in the United States and I'm not discounting other countries. It's just that if I haven't been around you, then how do I trust you if I can't right. see and observe you, right? So Just a lot of unknowns at that point. Yeah. So with the fourth cycle, we decided to give donor egg IVF a try. And, you know, I probably did three months of research, wasting time, <laughs> which is another pointer, um, of looking across all of the countries and what, um, what the best um they had to offer and what and so we ended up going with Greece um I, one of the things that we really liked in part of our research with Greece was that um the whole country is non-GMO you know I, I go back to I think a lot of our issues with infertility lead back to our um our food sources mm. because there's so much hidden that you don't know about in your food sources that it's astronomical how much it affects your infertility yes. um, and their endo endocrine disruptors, which I really didn't know anything about endocrine disruption until I started having issues with infertility in my second, third cycle. Like I started reading about, um, there's this book called it starts with the egg and endocrine disruptors are huge. So if you were dealing with infertility and you don't know anything about endocrine disruptors, that's one of the pieces of homework that I recommend you start looking at. Um, so we went overseas, you know, and I, I try not to be quote unquote, the American. I, I realize you have to give some, some leeway because they're not going to do things the way we do things here in the United States. So let me back up just a second because for, typical IVF here in the United States, like you go through a huge like healthcare assessment. They take a bunch of labs, they figure out, you know, is there anything wrong in your lab work between, you know, your thyroid and your immune system and, and all kinds of stuff because they want that fixed first before they start doing IVF or the IVF is just not, it's going to be a waste of time and money. So in the United States, you go through a huge um, health assessment. They work you up. They, you know, they look at your uterus. You know, if you have the polyps, they schedule you for surgery, which I had to do um, twice. And they remove those polyps, especially if they're in areas where they're concerned about implantation, you know, to give you the best environment possible um, for success. Um, so they didn't really do any of that. They did none of that. I mean... I don't know why I say they didn't really do it. They didn't do any of that for the, the overseas. Um, typically in the United States, before you even go to do a transfer, they do something called a mock transfer. And really, if you think about as nurses, we put in Foley's, you know, if you have a difficult 
Foley insertion, then you know that you need to move on to a different catheter. So it's the same concept in IVF because on the day of when they're transferring those embryos, they want absolutely nothing to go wrong. So they want to make sure that A, you're easy access, or B, if you're difficult access, they know like what angle of entry to go into, what type of tube to use. And so overseas, they didn't do that again either. And I thought, well, okay, this is weird, you know, and I kept asking, you know, can I get some information? Are we doing this? Are we doing that? And they're like, yeah, we can do that. But then they never actually scheduled the mock transfer. And I'm just like, okay, so you're just pacifying me to shut me up now at this point, you know? Um, another thing that was different was on the day of the transfer in the United States, they give you Valium. Um, Valium uh, really helps relax the cervix and the uterus so that when they go to do the transfer, it's nice, easy, and smooth process. They didn't do that overseas. I like, it was the most painful thing ever. <laughs> I oh, like goodness. came up off the table. Yeah. So, I mean, there's some differences and I don't know if all of the overseas is treated like that. I would suspect it's not, but it, it just wasn't what I had pictured. And it definitely, like I walked away. I mean, Honestly, in my mind, I was like, well, shit, they could have just, sorry, I didn't mean to cuss. Oh, no, that's okay. They <laughs> <laughs> could have transferred air and there were no damn embryos in there in the first place because uh, I didn't get anything um, objective to look at. Like there was no paperwork. There were no pictures. You know, I was used to getting pictures of what the embryos look like. There was none of that. So it was very disheartening and, you know, that I'm, that added in on what you go through is, is so difficult, you know, because it's such a mind blowing process that you, it's like a roller coaster oh, of emotions. Yeah. I can so, only imagine. But you know, the, the one silver lining that I take away from that is, Hey, we had a family vacation, which is one of the reasons why we were like, okay, we're, we're willing to try donor egg overseas because even if it doesn't work, we, Hey, we got a great family vacation. Six or $7,000, you know, so but you got to think doing a vacation somewhere. That's really not a bad deal. Right. No, no. So yeah. how many, how many countries did you look at? Like, oh, we this looked a thing? At, yeah. Yeah. We looked at Greece, Italy. Um, they have a program in Africa. They have oh. a program in, uh, it wasn't Romania. It was another one of those middle. Uh huh. Okay. So middle like European. A handful. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I looked across the board at probably five different countries, and wow, you know, all of the the top highly recommended. Um, it, and I don't know why I discounted Mexico because Mexico is so much closer. I just I guess it really, <laughs> I felt like I, they're not really going to find any blondes because my husband's Hispanic, right? So. <laughs> We wanted to find a donor that was like me. I mean, two Hispanics are going to give you a Hispanic. Right? <laughs> so I think in my mind, I just discounted Mexico. And that's why I was looking at Italy, because at least Italy has more plans. But Nothing I mean, close. It, it is what it is. Right. So um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of food for thought, you know, but um, it's, it's definitely a trip. You know, uh, I, I'm on a lot of, I'm on two um, IVF forums on Facebook. Okay. One is for like general population IVF and another one is for 40 plus okay. um, IVF. And it's, you know, it's really, 
it's um it's been a source of both pleasure and pain you know because you get you're on these forums and you get to hear everybody's story you know and their success stories so that's you know where the pain comes in but then right. you have other where they're like they're just in so much distraught and they have nobody to turn to and it's it's a very isolating period to go through like my sisters are fertile myrtles. They just drink water and they freaking get pregnant. So they don't really understand this process or mm -hmm. what I'm going through, you know, in the same, I have a lot of friends that are dealing with infertility, but mm -hmm. some are more open than others. And it's really like, I, you know, it's not so much of a taboo as it was 10 years ago where I, mm -hmm. a lot more women are open about talking about it and, and saying that I have it, but I, I still feel that there's a taboo of, because I've succumbed to it. Well, do I say something to this friend? You know, do I, do I acknowledge the fact that my second IVF cycle um, was successful and I have a child and here I am, you know, still upset, pissed off and sad that I can't have a second child where, you know, a couple of my friends haven't even been able to have their first child. Like okay. it's hard. It's just hard, you know? And I remember like having a conversation because early on, I didn't really know, like, maybe I had a problem with getting pregnant and I would have to go the surrogate route, you know? So, mm -hmm. and I had asked one of my sisters, Hey, would you do this? And she was like, ah, no, she kind of hem hot about it. And she was like, you know, I don't think that I can because, you know, carrying the baby to term, like I would feel like that's my child. Mm. And I was like, okay. And, you know, so then I kind of, danced around the topic of, well, would you donate your eggs? You know, and again, she kind of hem hawed around the bush about it. And it was like, yeah, I'll do it. But then when it came down to actually executing, she, you know, she just didn't have the heart to tell me no, mm. you know? And, and so then, you know, I'm, I'm left, you know, wondering, Hey, will my other sister do it? You know? And, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, it's difficult, you know, because, you know, I'm asking a lot of the second sister who has her own medical issues. You know, she's got mm -hmm. some BH um, anxiety issues. She just had her third child who mm -hmm. is like three months old and dealing with a purple crying phase. And, and, you know, she's also like, bless her heart. Motherhood has been good for her because she's a recovering addict of both alcohol and drugs. Mm -hmm. So, and I know there are some people that are like, oh my God, why would you even consider that sister? Well, I mean, right. to be quite honest, you're desperate at this point. Right. You are. You would just accept anything, you know, and I don't mean it like that because I love my sister dearly and motherhood has been the biggest blessing that has turned her life around. But at least I kind of know, A, it's half of my DNA. Right, right. That's a relationship to me. B, I kind of know what to deal with. Like, okay, sh there's a possibility for BH issues, you know, and, and anxiety issues. Okay, got it. There's no cancer that runs in her side of the family, you know. Mm -hmm. So getting a donor egg, I have no idea what we're getting. Yeah, they can do genetic testing, but it's not for everything. Like, am I going to get a child that has diabetes? Am I going to get a child that has kidney issues? Am I going to get a child that I never, never, right. ever want to deal with a child with cancer mm. so it's hard it's it's mm -hmm. an extremely hard process but that's not even a guarantee because even right. that sister's like oh my god I had no idea what you had to go through for IVF when I started sending her you know here are the drugs here's the timeline here's how many times you have to go to the doctor you know in a in a 14 day period you know it, it's right. a lot and then she's worried well 
what if, what if my something? hormones are imbalanced and I, you know, it freaks me out, you know, be behavioral health wise. And mm-hmm. I, she goes, I'm just barely feeling okay. And I'm dealing with a lot right now. And mm-hmm. there's just, there's no easy answer to infertility. Mm-hmm. Absolutely zero. But you know, um, here's the other part to it too, is listening to yourself. Um, and we all call it our, our women intuition our nursing intuition or whatever it is you want to call it, your higher self, your higher being, whatever. We all have it. Sometimes we listen to it and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we learn the hard way, hey, I should have listened. Um, you know, when the second cycle was successful, um, it's funny. Uh, when we went in for our third cycle after having Rylan, the RE told me, he goes, I would never say yes to this. Um, but I'm saying yes to you only because you proved last cycle that you could have a child. Mm. So what I hadn't told you was a grading. So in the grading, um, I had a lot of fragmentation. They didn't look like beautiful embryos. Um, and they were dividing, but they didn't look perfect. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so he, he told me with, uh, IVF cycle number three, he goes, I, I never would have bet money that it would have been successful. I, I, in my mind knew that it wasn't going to work and lo and behold, you had a child, a healthy child. And so he said, that's the reason why I'm willing to do another cycle with you is because it's, and I told him at that appointment, I said, well, maybe it's not always up to us. I mean, you and the embryologist are really good and it's science, but maybe there is a part of God in it. You know, and so, um, and this goes, this circles back to why I was talking about the, the good stuff about the Facebook forums, Yeah, because there's a lot of women that are in distress over the poor grades that they get for their embryos. And I tell them, yes, baby, hold on. Oh, is my horse on? Uh, it might be, but hold on. I'm, not, I'm on a video. <laughs> yeah. So I tell them all the time, Hey, look, I had horrible grades. And my embryo made it, and I have a beautiful child to speak for. So don't don't think that your grade is the ultimate decision. Okay, go look at it. I'll be in there in a few. So that's another piece to keep in mind too: is that you know, if you listen and read to some of the research, you know, um, we opted not to do any testing on our embryos only because we just didn't have the number. Like we only had three and there's risk with testing. Like you can arrest that embryo growing when you test. Oh, wow. But we also kind of gave it up to God too. Like if we're meant to have this child, then we'll have this child. And if, you know, if God forbid the child comes out with Down syndrome, then I guess we have to just deal with that. Whatever comes, right? Right. We never testing. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, let's go look at it. Go get the cupcake for me, okay? So um, there have been many articles that I have read where they talk about um, they have discarded potentially viable embryos because wow. of the grading system. There's a component too. Sometimes the embryos can self-correct. Mm as they're growing, whether it's, you know, in the Petri dish or most of the time, I think it's, you know, within the womb, but there's a possibility, you know? And so it, it, you know, just like our COVID testing right now, sometimes you get a false positive and sometimes you get a false negative, right? Right. Right. 
testing is not a hundred percent proof. Mm-hmm. It is not all knowing. And that's where I go back to, you got to kind of listen to your inside intuition. What is mm-hmm. yourself telling you? Right. What's born when, born. um, okay. It's quiet time right now, baby. <laughs> <laughs> when we graduated from the, uh, the IVF clinic to a regular OB, um, my very first appointment, I fired the doctor. Mm. I straight up was like, I'm not coming back and I'm not doing this for eight months. This is ridiculous because I walked in, the doctor was poker face. Um, He was not positive. He was not uplifting. He made me so sad and depressed when I left that appointment that I was like, I can't do this physician. This OB doc is not for me. And so I went to the front desk and I told him, I said, I need to schedule my next appointment, but it cannot be with this provider. I want a new provider. And thankfully, I kind of knew who the front receptionist was. And she kind of knew the background of why I said that. Mm-hmm. So who did she, she hook me up with somebody who was amazingly yeah. glorious. Like she could have walked into the office, been ready to tell you bad news, but man, she had a smile on her face. She greeted you with such great energy and she just emitted like caring, like I'm here for you. The greeting of the eggs and just the chances you take, you know, if you decide to get them tested and, um, and you know, yours worked out and that was a surprise to the doctor. And, uh, and you would encourage others to uh, continue on with the process without getting them tested or you just know yourself, basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, each, each situation is going to be pretty individual. And that's where, you know, I was talking about earlier, you just got to go with your, your instincts. And what are your instincts telling you? Because um, I had previously started to tell you like once we graduated from the IVF clinic into the regular OB like we know we met that first doctor and we just I had to fire him um, because the process is really hard you know there's really no joy in the process of pregnancy because you fight tooth and nail knowing at any moment this isn't gonna work so really you know I started the pregnancy I was happy that we got a positive pregnancy test and the the HCG was you know good numbers but you keep waiting for that second shoe to drop so there's really no joy so you're like okay yeah there's this thing growing inside of me that's great like I'm not happy because at any moment now I know that the pregnancy you know may be lost so you don't allow yourself that room to be happy joyful you know you're just always living kind of, especially for the first trimester, because that's for everybody, everybody, whether you get pregnant through IVF or natural, you, unless you're, you're living in ignorance and bliss because it's your first pregnancy and you've never encountered a miscarriage, you know, you know that there's a risk for miscarriage in the first trimester. So there's no joy in it. You know, when, when I met the first OB doctor, he was very stone, kind of cold, you know, was very factual. Here's where we stand. Here's what, you know, your biggest risks are right now. And I left that 
that first introduction wanting to cry. You know, when I, I went to the front desk and I said, I need a different OB doctor. I cannot go through a pregnancy with that doctor. And the, 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 he was probably a very brilliant OB, but personality wise, I needed somebody that was going to lift me, you know, and I met a different doctor and, you know, she lit up the room, even though she may be delivering negative news, you know, she came in with such great energy and she was focused on you for the 20 minutes that she was with you. And I needed that at that time going through IVF because I was so scared and I didn't know what was going to happen. And I didn't know if we would make it to the end. And if we'd have a child, I didn't know if I was going to have a healthy child, you know, so there's just so many variables that really affects your mentation with this process, even if the process does work, you know, so I don't think I really got joyful until I hit like the third trimester. Cause I was like, all right, you know, we made it this far. They didn't find anything on the scans for the most part. I think I'm having a healthy child, <laughs> right? You know, and, and so then, um, even in that process, like I didn't even get to experience the full joy of nine months. I didn't, I was kind of pissed. I delivered early at 35 weeks and I was like, you know, gosh, darn it. You know, I don't, I get to hear women complaining about, you know, the last two weeks of pregnancy and I don't even get that. That got stolen from me too. There's just so many emotions that people don't understand and until you've lived an IVF circle and a cycle in a cycle after another cycle after another cycle. So, um, so Kelly, so you're going through all this with IV, IVF, right? And, and you're working, yeah. you're working while working mm -hmm. the whole time. Like, did you, time, did you ever run out of leave? I mean, was it as far as this? Well, I mean, basically it was oh. nice for me, um, that, uh, our RE, our IVF doctor was right there in the same town, you know, and my boss was amazing. Very, um, like if I needed to take time off and I did it during the week, you know, I could always make up time on Saturday on the weekend, you know, if I needed to. So I never had to burn leave. Other people have had to burn leave. Um, but there's also been, there have been family friend, friendly commanders. I have a girlfriend who went through, they are um, a same-sex marriage, went through um, IVF up in uh, at Madigan, and they were stationed in Alaska, and they allowed them to take, you know, four-day passes over, you know, you know, a Friday through Monday weekend in order to get the appointments done at Madigan. And they were very supportive. They didn't make her eat up all of her leave and, and whatnot, and so... And I had another girlfriend who went through IVF. They were stationed in Italy and they, this is not army. This was Navy, but they actually paid for her to go back to uh, Walter Reed to do the IVF, you know, so she didn't have, she didn't have that added expense coming out of her pocket. But if you've been in the military long enough, you kind of know that it's sometimes it's a crapshoot on whether you got somebody who's super family supportive versus somebody who's like, no, dude, you, uh, you got to leave to go do this. The army's not paying for your child. You need to pay your own way for it. So it just, you know, it's, that's another added piece to it. That's hard. But, you know, my husband and I were blessed that I had a very supportive supervisor, you know, and 
And then I, the cycle that I had, Rylan, I actually was going between one supervisor to a new supervisor and the old supervisor, man, he was so supportive. I, I was struggling one day when this was before we actually had transferred the embryo. But when you're, when you're going through the stimulation medications, they make you extremely tired. You're extremely, um, hormonal wise, you're kind of all over the place. You're bloated. You don't feel good. You feel uncomfortable. Like he came in and he's like, why don't you go home? Mm-hmm. My hard head, I was like, no, because you know, you feel like as a woman in the military, I got to, I have to earn my keep and prove mm-hmm. my place. Mm-hmm. So he knew, like he knew I wasn't going to go home. So he told me, he probably actually pulled a mat into my office, put it on the floor and said, take a nap. If you're not going to go home, just take a nap. And I, you know, to this day, I love him just for that. Mm. Being so caring and supportive, because that's really like, if you think about what's happening in the military right now, especially with Fort Hood and, and all the issues with the suicide, you know, if, if we addressed one another that way, Mm. I don't think that we'd have so much suicide. As an individual, right? As an individual. That's a whole nother, that's a whole right, nother that's another podcast. podcast. Yes. <laughs> we will do it a later time. But anyways, you know, it just so that, but part of, part of this too, because this is one of the things I read a lot on the Facebook forums is that people are either ashamed is probably one. Another one is just that they're so private. They don't let other people in on their lives. But I think back to that cycle for me and had I not told my boss what was going what I was going through, number one, I did, I would have done a disservice to myself because I, I needed that help, you know, and I needed somebody to look out for me. Right. Right. And, and just having your boss understand what you're going through is really one of the best gifts going through this, you know, this mm. torrential process, you know, so I'm glad that I shared, you know, with him what was happening and I'm glad I shared you know, the rest of the team so that, you know, when this is when I was in the practical nurse course, when the instructors like saw me in there and like knew that I was off, they knew the reason why. And also like at least half of those instructors were like, Hey, I'm saying prayers for you every day. I don't discount that some of those prayers actually made this happen. Mm. Hmm. So the, um, no, go ahead. I think the last thing to kind of close with is that um, the other part that people may not be aware of, or it may just kind of rattle them a little bit, is that this is really hard on a marriage. Mm. This is, um, you know, I I married without getting like, I guess it is personal, but there's no way around it. I mean, we just got to talk about it, but like my sex drive is not at a 10 out of 10 and that's my husband's sex drive. (laughs) Mine too. Early on in marriage, you know, uh, when we were dating before we even got married, he was like, we were having fights over, you know, our sex life. And I was like, dude, if I don't make you happy, there's the door. I don't want to keep you from your happiness. If I'm not the woman for you, then you need to find the woman that is. Here's your blow up doll. Those are hard conversations, right? No, absolutely. Oh my God, you add in IVF and IVF takes uh, it to a whole new exponential. I was like, oh my God. You know, at some point my husband was like, I feel like, you know, this is just so cold and calculated. And then like, you don't want to have my child. And I was just like, Oh, wait a minute. So that conversation. So it, um, 
I remember I told you I had several girlfriends that had been going through IVF on their mm-hmm. own journey. Right. And one of them was done, but she had embryos left. Well, um, she's Caucasian with brown hair and her husband is um, a redhead because he's Irish. And so kind of like in my mind, I was like, Hey, it's kind of a mixture of Rob and I, Rob's got brown hair. I have, you know, strawberry blonde hair being Irish. And so she wanted to gift her remaining embryos to us. Mm. And in my head, this is where I say, you know, like if, and even if you don't have a rock solid marriage, it's, it's going to challenge you guys. And, and communication is number one communication and then taking timeouts um, are both the two things that are going to help you. So like I told him about this and in my head, I was like, so excited. I was like, great. This just saved us $16,000. Like half of the process is already done. All we got to do is transfer, like just tune me up and let's transfer these babies. And my husband, on the other hand, was like, it was a stop sign. And then he was pissed, didn't talk to me for a week. And I finally, like one afternoon, I sat down at the kitchen table because he was at the kitchen table working on his business stuff. And I said, I can't do this another week. I said, I'm tired of you ignoring me. Um, I, you're Clearly, you're pissed about something, but you're not talking to me. I can't feel this way for another week. What is going on? You know, and, mm-hmm. and he was close to tears. He was about to break down in tears saying I'm extremely hurt. And that was like the furthest furthest thing from my mind. I thought he was just pissed at me. Mm -hmm. What he said, I'm extremely hurt. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, what do you, what do you hurt about? What did I hurt you about? Mm -hmm. And he said, I feel like you don't want my DNA. And I was like, babe, I, I would love nothing more than this child to be you and I, I would love nothing more than this child to have your DNA to literally be linked to Rylan as a sibling. I said, but the bottom line is, is we just spent all of our savings on this last cycle. We don't have the money. And if going forward, it's going to have to go on a credit card. We're going to be $35,000 more in debt. Right. So I said, I thought I was thinking like a male, and that you would appreciate this move. I said, it never in a million years dawned on me that he would think something completely 180 degrees different. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and then he has his moments where, you know, men, you know, that book, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. I mean, it it came from somewhere and it's got some truth to it because like at times, you know, he's like, I see you struggling. I see you so depressed, but I don't know how to help you, but I want you to know that I'm okay with us only having Rylan, you know? And so he feels bad because he doesn't know how to help. He can't help me. Mm. He can't, Right. you know, and even 10 times worse for a male who's Hispanic because like he's got this second business that he's trying to get off the ground. He can't even cover anything with IVF. Mm. He can't help at all because he's just trying to make ends meet with his own business. Mm. So that's a, that's like another demon to the male ego, you know? So it's just hard, you know, and you just have to remember, you know, both of you are going through this process together, but you're also going through the process in an individual state. And you may not understand that individual state until a, somebody's either pissed off and crying or somebody's pissed off and ignoring the other person. And, and then you just have to take a time out and say, 
okay, I'm too pissed right now to talk to you. So I'm going to revisit this discussion in a couple of hours or mm -hmm. the next day after you've slept on it and you've kind of cooled off. Or if your partner's not talking to you, it's like, okay, let, let me ask you like, Hey, what's going on? Like, I don't, I don't like what I'm seeing or feeling right now. Like you need to talk to me and open up, you know, and you just have to be transparent with one another. And, you know, so there are times like I recently, actually just last week, I told him, I said, you know, I need to tell you something. I need to get this off my chest. Um, you know, it's been bothering me for quite a long while and I really, truly, I'm mad at you, but I, I don't, it's not like I'm mad at you. I hate you or I'm going to forever hold this against you, but I'm mad at you that you, you know, disregarded those free embryos when we could have had another sibling for Rylan by now. I'm upset at you over that, you know, and I just need to tell you so that I can quit ruminating on it. Oh, so you had a so, little bit of resentment that you were holding on. Yeah, to. I, I, I did. I said, I don't, I don't want to resent you. I don't want to resent the, that situation. I said, mm -hmm. but I have to tell you, I was pretty pissed because what happened was, is, I don't know. I want to say like, um, a year later, he ended up uh, like, six o'clock in the morning, we're waking up on a Saturday morning, he rolls over and he's like, hey, those, uh, those eggs, those eggs things, are they still available? And I was uh, like, I looked at him, like raised my eyebrow and said, that ship has sailed and walked off. I was so pissed. Right. So pissed. Uh, because then he realized the gravity of the situation that we were in. And, and this is also where I go back to, hey, my inner instinct was we probably should take this route because I don't think that we're going to have a, this chance again, ever again, who's going to randomly come up to you and say, Hey, would you like my free embryos? No, it doesn't happen like that. Number two, you know, financial wise, like the writing was on the wall. Like I was still trying to finish grad school. He was starting this business like, and, and life is just costly. So yeah, I mean, that's it in a nutshell. I, I hope that it brings light to so many facets. There's so many facets to IVF that people don't know or understand, you know, and right. it's, it's difficult to navigate. And, you know, if we talk about the military and having mentors, like ha being in IVF, you really need a mentor, somebody you mm -hmm. can talk to and, you know, just. Did, did you have that, Kelly? I kind of did. Okay. Um, but the problem was, is that I didn't allow me to have that relationship with that person okay um but, and I really I had kind of two two people that I could have used as a mentor the one was the one that I told you about you know she listened to me when I was griping and complaining about you know um issues with IVF she's the one that was going to donate the embryos to us um but she was also going through um issues and was extremely you know busy and and she had just delivered twins so I kind of felt like okay well she's here to listen to me when I need her and but I didn't I didn't want to bother her and then the other person that I really wanted to be a mentor she had been struggling with um infertility and and never had a child so I felt really ridiculous trying to reach out to this other person complaining about my process when I had a child <laughs> and this person has never had a child. So I, um, I, I didn't want to 
and I might maybe cheated myself and her, but I didn't want to bring up pain for her. So I never even, I never even asked. God, Kelly, you brought so many nuggets out of this. I mean, there's so many things we probably could talk for hours (laughs) just from, not just from IVF. I think it's if there's people that are struggling with infertility and they're starting their journey with IVF, you know, it might be beneficial to do another podcast that is a panel of a couple of people that had mm-hmm. to deal with IVF. Absolutely. Because having more than one person's perspective is also educational. Yes, absolutely. Because everyone's, you know, journey is different. So um, I will definitely take note of that. I mean, uh, but you even said, we even talk about your military career. What was that you said? Uh, earn your keep. We have to. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, us women have to bust our ass two <laughs> times harder than men just to feel um, smarter, accepted, and that you're earning your keep because it's like right now, I feel so absolutely worthless because Ryland got kicked out of daycare because his teacher became positive with COVID. So now he's on isolation for 14 freaking days. I'm not at work. I'm sure my boss is like, Hey, even though he said, Hey, yeah, you got to take care of your family, go home and take care of him. Mm -hmm. But still, you still deal with, Oh my God, she was out again. Right. That (laughs) guilt, right? Uh, (laughs) Okay. Well, I'll work from home. So like all day yesterday, I'm trying to call, you know, patients to do the contact tracing. And I'm at least trying to still help with the fight from home, but it's difficult. And And so you just, you do, you feel you feel like you have to work harder to prove yourself, you know, and then, and, and I mean, it, you come home and it's insanely hard because you're tired from working 10 hours, which mm-hmm. is supposed to be an eight hour shift, but it's never eight hours. And then right. you, you know, you got to do dishes, do dinner, take care of the dogs, um, kind of reset for the evening on top of feeling guilty that I only see my child three hours out of the day, Monday through Friday. Right, right, right. Ugh. And then an IVF, that's not included, you know, if you do have a positive pregnancy in the nine months of a pregnancy, that's what, three to four months prep, right? Or more than that of the hormones. Yeah, it, well, your, your stage one of IVF is they put you on birth control pills to kind of suppress your ovaries and to calm your, um, your hormones. Mm-hmm. And then like, the second stage of IVF is where they are basically, they're stimming you with all those medications that I told you, like they right. cause headaches, they cause, you know, fatigue, bloating. You just, you're not feeling yourself. You're either happy and drained or you're, you know, you're depressed and drained. And right. it's so, and then the third stage is, you know, when they're actually prepping to transfer and then you're in the dreaded two week wait, trying to figure out, Hey, you know, did this work? I remember with my first transfer, like I, I may, it was probably just all in my head or it was just all of the medications. Cause you're still on meds during that time frame, um, simulating that you're pregnant to help increase the chances of it taking. So black sore boobs, I was cramping right. down there. I was like, surely this took, like, I know I, feel pregnant and right. then it's negative and it's negative you know so then when it came to the second cycle I was like well shoot I don't feel anything there's no way in hell I am pregnant you know and then uh-huh. they called and the nurse told me over the phone she's like Kelly it's positive and I was like shut <gasps> the front door there's no way <laughs> she was like 
that's got to be the funniest response I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I just knew. I just knew. So wait, so just to clarify, those first three phases, how long is that around? How long is that process of so like the hormones? Usually and, it's, a, uh-huh. it's about a month on the birth control pills. Okay. And then you doing the stims. Um, uh-huh. Those are, it depends on how fast your follicles grow. Okay. Um, so you can stim for anywhere from 10 days to 15 days. Okay. And so it's really like just two weeks of torture because you're, you're taking the medications, you're doing injections in your stomach, mm-hmm. um, and then you're going in for u- ultrasounds with the, the, I call her Wanda, the Wanda <laughs> wand. <laughs> And then you have to go get labs drawn like every other day. And it's, you know, there's at uh, least three appointments a week for the, that two week two period. Okay. And, then, and then, like I said, they do the transfer and then that's another two weeks. So, I got you. Uh, about it's, two, it's about, yeah, it's about two months, two and a half months, depending on what they had to do. And then that doesn't even include the prep time. Like it, like I said, I had to have polyps removed. Mm. So then I had to get um, outpatient surgery to have that, you know, and then you're missing, you know, a day of work, be- well, two days of work because of the day of the surgery and then the, the day after. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Oh my goodness. Well, you are a superhero, I'm telling you, and you do have a beautiful boy, Mr. Ryland, who joined us on our meeting earlier. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and dropped a cupcake on the floor. <laughs> the dogs had a heyday with that. <laughs> oh my goodness. So thank you so much for taking this time out to speak to um, our audience. And I really hope that someone got something from it. And if they didn't, I definitely did. So uh, thank you. Um, Amen to that. I mean, I, and I know you have the resources and the support uh, and you know, I'm always here for you. So <laughs> to vent at any time. So, um, so going forward, what, what are you looking forward to now? Well, well funny. You should ask. I uh, just had an appointment <laughs> with a, a doctor out of um, Phoenix. So okay. we're going to try one last cycle with donor egg. Okay. Oh, well, great. Well, yeah. I, well, you know, everyone tuning in, say a little prayer, a little, you know, cheer for you. I know we're, we're all cheering you on and, uh, and yeah, uh, yeah. Turn out wonderful, right. It's going to yeah. turn out wonderful. So listen, if there's anybody listening to this podcast and they just need somebody, you know, a mentor or just somebody to, you know, throw some questions to, you know, I'm always here for anybody. And how, how can they reach you, Kelly? Um, my email. So okay. KY25 at hotmail.com. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. I will be talking to you after and uh, thank you. Hello, lady leaders. Uh, Thank you for joining in this week. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Kelly as much as I did. And for all the ladies out there who are going through IVF, our hard time getting pregnant, uh, there are resources out there. There's a community for you out there and we are here for you as well. So please contact Kelly if you need some more questions and you can also contact me. Uh, You can find me on Facebook at The Military Woman or on Instagram at The Military Woman. I look forward to hearing your thoughts, your feedback, and any, any resources that you would like to share as well. Thank you. See you next week.